This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello and uh, welcome to this new episode of uh, Café Connect, where we bring you the latest research from the University of Aberdeen. My name is Barbara Gorgoni and I'm part of the public engagement with uh, research unit here at the University. In this series, we meet different researchers who talk about their projects and uh, the relevance to our life. And if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. Please email peru at abdn.ac.uk. That is P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk. And we will put your questions and comments to our speakers. Keep in mind, however, that they won't be able to answer any personal or medical questions. So today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Catherine Martin, lecturer in the Institute of Applied Health Sciences at the University of Aberdeen, and Marjorie Darcy, chair of Grampian 50 Plus Network. They will discuss the role of older people walking groups before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome both. And I will hand over now to Catherine, who will get us started with uh, uh, talking a little bit about the benefits of walking. Thanks, Barbara. Um, So really, I think no one can dispute the fact that um, there are great benefits for being physically active. I mean, it's very important in terms of um, improving um, health outcomes. So Um, It helps to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and even some cancers. Um, And it really does help control body weight um, and makes people have a a better mood, if you will, um, and has overall um, uh, well-being and uh, health-related quality of life benefits. And so walking is really an ideal exercise um, because it is a moderate to vigorous activity. Um, It is low impact and uh, generally safe and accessible at any age. And really, um, it comes uh, with a pretty low price tag. So um, you can get out and and go for for a walk um, for little to to no cost. Um, So I guess really when we think about those benefits of of walking, um, we think about um, how it improves physical functioning. And especially for older adults, improving things like balance and gait, Um, And uh, I mentioned before about uh, maintaining a a healthy body weight. So it helps with weight loss and weight maintenance, um, which is particularly important. Um, And here in Scotland, um, physical inactivity is still really a major challenge. Um, So we want to be getting more of the population out, more people active. Um, And there have been a number of Scottish um, government guidelines that have been set up um, and implementation plans for physical activity. But also um, it was one of the the very first, I think, in the world to develop a a national walking strategy um, about five, six years ago now, I think. Um, And that was really to promote walking on a daily basis. And so um, I'm particularly interested in um, research that focuses on older adults, but also individuals who have arthritis and musculoskeletal conditions like chronic pain um, and ways in which walking um, can be beneficial for those populations um, because of its low impact, um, its accessibility, and its its low cost. Um, and in Everyone likes to get out and go for a nice walk, especially if it's um, around, um, I suppose, nature and trees. 
um, or, or down by the seaside, there's, there's always something to look at and it, it's really quite mood lifting. Um, so I was really pleased actually to um, have been um, approached. So a colleague and myself have been approached by the Grampian 50 plus network. Um, so that's where Marjorie enters the picture. And um, so it was about, um, what, 2019, um, the fall of 2019, when Marjorie, um, who's chair of the Grampian 50 plus network, got in touch to see whether or not there might be some research projects um, and was able to um, start chatting with her about um, what the network does and how big they are. Um, it's quite extensive throughout the northeast of Scotland. Um, Marjorie, do you want to say a little bit about the network and sort of its reach and maybe even a little bit of a, about the history of it? Hello. Um, yes, I think um, Grampian 50 Plus Network was actually set up in 1998, but in actual fact it came from an idea way back in the early 80s when working in community education, um, we became aware that there were lots of opportunities for younger adults, but when it came to older adults, there were many fewer. And unless you were um, confident enough to join an extramural class at the university, or you were an avid whist player or bowler, there really wasn't very much. Um, particularly, um, the pensioner type groups were very popular. And, and all that happened is that people came along, sat down in a seat, were entertained, given a cup of tea and sent home again. And as a community education worker, I felt that there was, um, there was more to life than this. And these people should get opportunities to do other things. Um, so by about mid-80, about 85, I, along with two colleagues, decided we would try to um, do a little um, project to set up three walking groups for some of these people. Um, it was very informal, very non-threatening. And um, these three groups in Aberdeen got set up and um, people just loved being able to go out, perhaps in a minibus with other people, go to the countryside, just do a gentle walk. Um, and this really was where it, where it all came from. Um, I have to say my colleagues then didn't think this was going to work. And, but after a few years, they were actually very keen to set up groups in their own areas. Um, so that's really where it came from. Um, and uh, so by about mm, mid-late 80s, this was becoming really quite popular. In 1985, we decided we'd take some of these people on a, a five-day-a-week trip called Discovering New Horizons. And we just invited people to come and enjoy the out of doors. Um, a little did they know that without any pressure at all, but a lot of encouragement, they would spend a week walking, going in chairlifts, going in a canoe, going in a dinghy, doing all sorts of things. And they really got so much out of it. They said, more people have got to get this opportunity. So these courses actually ran two a year for, for many years. Um, and that was that was very successful. And that also helped to um, increase friendships because people came from different parts of, of what was Grampian. Um, by about 1990, just very quickly, we had about 40, 50 walking groups in Grampian. And we brought them together for a big Rambler's Rendezvous. 
um, at Lease Hall, the National Trust property. And we had um, 200 people came. And it was the beginning of an event that happens still every year. Um, we now quite, we run it over two days now. People can only come one day or the other because we have to cope with so many people. We developed a week of walks so that people could learn new walks. We produced an agenda, a newsletter, um, which is run by volunteers, as is the whole net, as is the whole organisation now. Um, and then by, by in the mid-90s, we became very aware that having involved lots of these people in events, it was maybe time for these people, older people, to take on the, or the running of this organisation. And we set up the network in 1998. And um, it's just gone from strength to strength. I mean, we, we get hundreds of people that come to events. We offer training. Um, we offer small conferences, just all sorts of opportunities um, that people really, really enjoy. So the committees all run by volunteers. Um, and it continues to go on. <laughs> I think. And am I am I right that now the network is about thirteen hundred members strong? It's between twelve and thirteen hundred, and we have just under sixty groups from across Grampian. Now, some of these groups are very small; maybe have eight or nine members. Some groups have fifty or sixty members, and they use a coach when they they go out. Although. When they get to the point of the walk, there are usually two or three options to meet the different abilities. And, it, you know, most of it is, is not really hard walking, although within a group, the, the fitter ones will obviously have a, a harder walk than the others. So when we started chatting, I guess it was, yeah, last year at this time, and when we were thinking about projects for the network, um, we were thinking really about getting into sort of the nuts and bolts worrying about trying to evaluate the network and thinking about how individuals were using the network and what might be coming down the future for the network as well. So understanding a little bit more about um, how the committee operates and um, I guess thinking about sustainability of the network and um, because if, if folks, well, you started it 20 years ago and maybe folks have been aging um, and trying to recruit new members and, and thinking about that membership in terms of socio-demographics and um, where in which those walks are located. So we, we had started to develop a, a master's project that was going to um, in, investigate some of those, um, thinking about the perceptions of um, participants in terms of program access um, and, and what elements they thought made the, the network successful um, and to think about some of their expectations and the motivations for joining the network. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and it really derailed everything. Not in the sense that what, what the project sort of has come to be um, has in any way been diminished. And actually COVID enhanced the working relationship between um, myself and, and the network. Um, uh, but I suppose our students project really changed and shifted because she was meant to go out and meet with the groups and have 
um, I think, walk-alongs um, and to be able to have these conversations. But um, obviously with lockdown and COVID, um, that wasn't wasn't going to be able to happen. So she very, very adeptly um, and learned a lot. She switched to, to doing things on online and interviewing um, uh, a lot of the, the people who came forward to, to participate in some of her focus groups. Um, and, and that was really, um, I think, wonderful. And she had a really great experience with, with that. But one of the um, things that we got talking about, didn't we, Marjorie, was the opportunity to understand how the network and how, how its members um, might actually fare um, during the pandemic. Um, and there was a call from the chief scientist's office, the CSO, um, looking for COVID-related grants. And so we were really interested in, in understanding more about um, how lockdown could impact on individuals who are so social, um, actually thinking about you know, people who normally are used to getting out um, and going for, for these walks with their, their groups and, and not having that because everything has sort of stopped. Um, so we submitted the grant and um, it was approved, well, it was uh, funded. Um, and we, we also at the time thought we would also be thinking about trying to understand the impact of these restrictions, um, like the stay-at-home measures and, and gathering um, limits, um, but also things about wearing face masks and trying to keep a two-meter distance, because that was all sort of new to everyone at the time. And we also wanted to better understand um, reports of help-seeking behavior, so accessing NHS, um, understanding reports of loneliness and well-being, um, and how people were able to maybe manage their physical activity, um, ke keeping up with their walking or other um, types of activities. Um, and we also asked some questions about public health messaging, um, which was important to us to understand how the messages were being um, received and perceived um, by folks in this group. Um, so we did three um, surveys um, in June, July, and August. And we also had a group of individuals take part in some um, in-depth interviews. Marjorie and the network um, was heavily involved um, in the process. Everything was being run, I think, out of homes at the time because we weren't allowed into the office. Um, <laughs> Marjorie's laughing. Um, it, it was a busy time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think um, I think it was such a pity that the student didn't get the opportunity to actually do their walk-alongs with, with different groups because I think it may be that there might have been very different outcomes, but because it was all done um, virtually, if you like, I think um, some people would not have contributed because they probably didn't feel it, it was for them. And it may have attracted more confident people to take part. And that doesn't detract from what, what actually happened. But I, I do think a wider, um, if the student had been able to reach a wider group of people and, and speak with them informally, as well as enjoy the, the wonderful countryside that we have, um, then, then it might have been, been a bit different. Um, I do think that being a member of these walking groups probably helped people during COVID because they, they know what it's like to 
feel good after a walk, to have had a chat with somebody, um, just the whole benefits of walking that you described earlier. So um, I think they, they have a network quite often. Um, they have telephone connections. They, they speak to one another or new friends on telephones just to check how people are. Some of the groups have dedicated leaders and they have been phoning people and just making sure they're up to date. Um, the network itself has continued to produce its newsletters, um, which is called the Agenda, with age in capital letters. Um, and we've been really interested because we invited members to send us information about what they've been doing during COVID. And we've had some lovely, lovely stories of, of what they've done, how, how they've adapted. Um, so I, I think that really helped them, I think. We, we saw actually um, in, in the data come through um, that participants, um, so we had about 350 approximately individuals, um, participants take part uh, in, in the first survey in June. And then we followed those individuals in um, July and August. Um, and actually, we saw that the, this group of individuals um, were meeting or exceeding the recommended physical activity guidelines. So that is 150 minutes um, of moderate to vigorous intensity um, activity each week. Um, so that was that was very high um, compared to um, what we might typically see in, in a national um, population level data for older adults. Um, and actually, while the network walks did shut down during lockdown, um, people were reporting that they were walking um, as their primary form of exercise, um, and, and they were actually engaging in more housework and gardening. Um, so we, we, we see that, um, I think, the importance of physical activity within this group. People were maintaining um, that and taking advantage of getting out um, for as much um, exercise as, as possible. But as the months went on and as the restrictions eased, um, there was um, slight lessening of reports of that, that level of physical activity. So where people were maybe taking advantage of that one hour a week or hour a day of getting out and being active um, as restrictions eased and maybe people were able to meet up and, and go, go to the shops again and, and to do other things. Um, yeah, that's possible that, um, you know, your, your, your day and your routine changes a bit. Um, so one of the um, people we had interviewed had indicated about how that, that pattern had changed over time. We saw that there was an evolution of walking groups um, and what the walking groups were offering at different times. Um, so while the restrictions and the guidelines had rolled in, the function of that the, the walking groups had, had changed. So we actually saw that during lockdown, while groups weren't actually meeting for organized walks, um, many groups were still maintaining a social element by providing social contact or support, um, either meeting virtually um, or keeping in contact via email or, or telephone. Um, and that was really important um, and, and reported um, by a lot of participants um, that that was really um, uh, sort of a benefit that, that kept them sort of going and, and seeing um, their their walk group members or, or hearing from them. Um, and when lockdown started to ease after mid-July, 
um, some groups were starting to maybe um, restart modified format, um, really limited by size and location. And a lot of these were happening outside of um, the city of Aberdeen. Um, and that uh, in large part because Aberdeen went back into a lockdown, didn't we, at the beginning um, of, of August? Well, it's pretty much all of August. Um, and so there's this importance of observing social distancing um, measures and um, reducing some of the socialization that might happen. Um, and we heard um, from folks uh, who, who were taking part in the interviews, but also in some of the spaces on the surveys where we gave them an opportunity to, to do some free text um, writing about their experiences, um, that transport and taking public transport um, will be a big issue moving forward um, with trying to take part in, in their normal walking groups. Um, getting to places um, is going to be an issue if they don't drive themselves or if they've previously um, relied on public uh, transit or a ride from um, a friend or, or a family member. And Marjorie, as you mentioned about the coaches, you know, some groups will hire big coaches to go out and um, get get their members to, to a walk and maybe a bit more of a remote or rural location. Um, and COVID has definitely changed that, hasn't it? And um, how people how people are engaging with their walking groups sh surely has changed over time. But the one thing that's remained constant is the need and the desire for people to continue to try and meet, even if it's in a modified format. Yes, I think um, it's interesting that people have been continuing to walk, but I think they're walking so much in the same area that they live in that I think they've explored every nook and cranny of every street and path and, and everything else. Um, but um, obviously following government and Sport Scotland guidelines, some groups are back walking, albeit some walking in very small groups, um, still walking locally um, because, you know, if everybody takes a car, there are a limited number of places where you can park all these cars. It's also obviously an issue for people who don't have transport, as you say. Um, and many are wary about using public transport. But I think the will is there, definitely. You know, everyone you meet says, when will the groups be starting? You know, so um, I think people are remaining positive and, and very realistic. I don't know whether that's an age thing or not, that, well, when it changes, it changes. And we look forward to that. I think overall, we were seeing with the help-seeking behavior was that folks were really not willing or they were demonstrating that the, the likelihood of them accessing healthcare advice, should it be needed, was lower than what we had anticipated. Um, and some of that could have been the public health messaging, um, but also maybe just the unknown um, with coronavirus and not wanting to um, go to places where um, you, you may be more likely to pick it up um, and you wouldn't want to necessarily burden um, the, the healthcare service if, if it wasn't absolutely necessary. Um, but we did see um, the, the likelihood of, of accessing different services sort of change over time. And, and that, of course, um, was with restrictions lifting and, and things like that. So um, people were saying that they would um, definitely speak to their friends and, and family members um, if they they um, had any queries 
Um, and um, some some people in the interviews actually had been accessing services routinely um, and were, were understanding um, and pretty flexible with the fact that things have to change um, and how, how you access um, the services. Um, um, and some found it very, very straightforward and easy. So um, those sorts of things, I think, were, were interesting to, to hear. And of course, we're still um, in a state at the moment where um, a lot of services have been suspended or there's now going to be quite a delay to, to get back in and see a consultant, if you will, in specialist care. Um, and so hopefully um, as we move forward, that, that will be something that, again, will be ironed out. Yes, I think, I think um, many people felt that they wouldn't contact um, the health services unless it was really necessary. Um, because they felt there was a great pressure on the services because of COVID itself. I think that may be the, the main um, part of, of that. One of the other findings that we were, were looking at was the impact of COVID um, restrictions um, and these um, guidelines on loneliness and, and well-being. And actually among the individuals who took part in the surveys, we found that rates of loneliness um, were were low, lower than expected, um, should be said. Um, and so we know from the literature that um, rates of loneliness can be quite high, um, especially among folks who live alone um, and, and older adults. Um, and you can see prevalence um, uh, um, figures of loneliness, it sort of varies depending on the scales you use and, and who's being surveyed and, and whatnot. But um, we found um, that that those levels of loneliness were about um, 30% um, to 23%, um, and it sort of lessened um, as, as the months went on. Um, and, and again, in August, where some of the restrictions had been lifted um, for out with Aberdeen City. Um, and we, we saw that folks actually had very good levels of well-being um, and um, they were reporting um, very high levels of social contact with family or friends, um, not living with them. So they were maintaining those relationships um, either in person, by, by telephone, um, video calls, um, text and, and emails. And so they, they, were, they were trying as much as possible to reach out and to have those interactions. Um, but most people did express feelings of frustration um, and really feeling as if they, they wanted to be able to be with their, their loved ones and, and their friends um, and to, to be doing the normal routine. Um, and, and so while things had changed, they, they were thankful that there were these other options to, to maintain. Um, their relationships, but it, it, it was mixed, I think. Um, not everyone obviously uh, likes likes being uh, online or video chats. <laughs> you do what you have to to see your grandchildren, I think, right? Yeah, I think um, I think the experience of the past nine months um, it's, it's really very important. It'll be very interesting to see how the network copes with this, whether um, People have been looking forward to it so much <clears throat> that the groups will, <clears throat> excuse me, um, immediately come back to life again, and um, all will be well. Um, you know, we're quite used to getting between two, three, four hundred people becoming involved in projects, um, 
Now, will people be wary about that? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I think most groups will return. And I think people might bring their friends with them. Um, the people they've met out walking <laughs> every day, meeting the same people and on the same walks. Um, we may have to get some help to set up some new groups to cope with demand, probably. Um, probably in areas where there aren't established groups. Um, obviously, we'd we welcome any new members. Um, we, we're updating our publicity leaflet, which uh, hopefully we will circulate early in the spring. We've got a website, we've got a Facebook page, but I think word of mouth is, is most effective. I think I should mention that health walks are, have been very successful and most of them are back walking. Now, many of the health walks are led by members of our walking groups. And the idea is that once people um, you know, may move between the health walk to, to one of our walking groups because we tend to go further afield. But it is about everyone, I think, just doing their part to make a difference. Um, I think on the other hand, um, people might feel the network has lived its life um, and maybe oh. they, don't, they maybe don't need it anymore. And if that's the case, then, then that's fine. If, if what we've done over the years is encouraged hundreds, probably thousands of older people to enjoy walking and all the benefits that come with it, then, you know, that's been a success. But I, I don't think it will go that way, but who knows? Time will tell. I would hope that the network wouldn't necessarily go quietly into the night. I think that what what the research that, that we've done with you, um, particularly around the, the COVID research, has actually shown that and while we didn't measure resilience in a, in a sort of research um, capacity way, um, but the levels of loneliness um, and, and the well-being that, that was demonstrated in, in the group um, and actually, um, and I didn't even mention it, but, but just even the levels of numbers of chronic conditions sort of lower than, than the average population. Again, it could be the people who actually participated in the surveys um, rather than representative of the whole network. Um, but there's something about being part of these groups that does seem to have maybe mitigated the impact of COVID-19, um, the restrictions and, and sort of being in lockdown. Um, and, and I think that's evident in the way that the network has or the, the, the walking groups have evolved and, and supported um, individual members. Um, and it, and it's, it's there. Um, and so in a time of, of sort of crisis, if you will, um, everyone came together and, and supported one another in whatever ways and encouraged them to continue with their walking. And I think that has definitely helped to sort of yeah, dampen the impact that might, might, might have been seen had, had that not been there. And um, I don't know if you're aware, um, but the UK government, sorry, Scottish government, um, just this week has released six million pounds of additional funding um, to help tackle isolation, social isolation and loneliness, um, because this is real um, and it's really important. Um, and so this is where physical activity and social support mix in, in these walking groups. Um, and I think they're vital. Um, and I would love to see that, that you needed to expand and add additional walking groups um, and for the network to continue to grow and attract younger members um, so that as they age, they age gracefully and they they continue with their physical activity um, and, and their their um, mental well-being can, can be enhanced over these years by those additional you know friendships.
Yes, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we have all the, the wonderful words about social isolation, loneliness, well-being, etc. But it, it, it's, it's really very difficult to explain. Um, you know, people say to me after the walk of my walking group, I just feel so good after I've had a walk. You know, I've been speaking to other people. Uh, I've been enjoying the countryside. We've had great laughs. We've had great chats. And I really just feel quite energised at, at the end of it. And I think if you multiply that by all the members, we've got this positive view of the benefits of being part of the group and doing things with the group, perhaps not just with walking. I know lots of groups organised a few days away, either self-catering in a hotel or whatever suits them, just to develop more as a group. And it just is... It's just been a great success, I think. Well, thank you so much, Marjorie. That's um, really wonderful. And what you have actually set up all those years ago, 20 years ago, would you ever have imagined we'd be here today um, looking at, at, at this and the fact that it's been in a global pandemic, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and yeah, one, when you set up these ventures, you never know what difference it's going to make down the line. So I think it's wonderful. And thank you for allowing, you know, us in, um, you know, as, as a research team um, uh, to come in and be a part of that. It takes a lot of trust, I think, on the behalf of a, of a sort of community organization to, to do that. And I've been essentially, you know, working very closely with you all those months um, back and forth with, with um, different surveys to review and, you know, the mailings. And it, it just was a wonderful experience for me. And um, I hope that, that it's made a difference and it will be a benefit to the group as well. Thank you very much. And we've enjoyed it. And I think that's a benefit to, to everybody from will come from it. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, we're looking forward to the next next thing, but hopefully it won't be another sort of global pandemic. We, we've had enough of that now. I think Barbara's been giving us like a sign, so I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it's been really a fascinating discussion and insight into how um, this particular group of people have worked uh, together. But I just have a quick question because you mentioned a website and a Facebook page. So if people wanted to join the network, uh, what would they have to search for? How would they do that? Well, basically, they just need to search Grampian 50 Plus Network and the website will come up. The Facebook is also Grampian 50 Plus Network and there is a contact um, there. If anybody wants to join a group, um, they get in touch with the, the email address and we will try to link them with a, an appropriate group in the appropriate area. Excellent. Thank you very much. And thank you again both um, for taking part in uh, our Cafe Connect. Um, and uh, yes, so to our listeners, remember that if you have any questions for our speakers, please email us at uh, peru at abdn.ac.uk that's p-e-r-u at abdn.ac.uk and uh, keep your ears open for our next Cafe Connect podcast thank you for listening and goodbye this podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen 